0: Well, welcome to bring a friend to church day. Yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> so, Wanda's not in here, right, because she is working hard at, uh, at getting ready for our brunch that we're having after the service. Please, 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 if you're here, uh, s- stick around. We'd love to, uh, to get to know you better. And, um, sorry. All Um. I'd love to get to know you better, uh, and please thank Wanda uh, while you're there because this was all her idea. Um, yeah, she had a couple of uh, months ago in our house church. She said, "What if we had a Bring a Friend to Church Day?" Sounds like it's a great. There actually is also. I know all the kids have left, but uh, there's actually going to be a moon bounce that's going to like be here, and it's probably going to be delivered like while I'm talking today. So if you hear somebody like out there, you know, moon bouncing, that's what that is. But today. We are continuing in our series on 1 Corinthians, so I'd like to invite you to turn, if you have a Bible near you, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. All things are lawful for me, Well, not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God's going to destroy both one and another. The body is meant not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it said, the two shall become one flesh. Anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun fornication. Every sin that a man commits, every that a a person commits, is outside the body. But a fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore. Glorify God with your body. This initial part, this first part, um, evidently the Corinthian church had become accustomed at um, perhaps a wayward way of seeing their own freedom that they have in Christ. These little quotes that Paul gives, they may be things that are common expressions in the Corinthian uh, community, they may be things that Paul actually himself had said and that they actually would quote back to him because we're only seeing one side of this telephone conversation. There was another side where the Corinthian church was actually writing to the Apostle Paul and that we don't get to see. And he may actually be quoting back some things that, that he had said to them that he had heard from them. So he might be saying, quoting these things that says, well, all things are lawful for me. Paul's comment is, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me. I will not be dominated by anything. Well, food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach was for food, and God's going to destroy both one and another, so I might as well do anything I want, right? No, the body isn't meant for fornication. The body is meant for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now, as you can tell, this text um, deals a lot with the issues of uh, sexual immorality, of what the, the Bible, the, what the scripture says, uh, fornication. Um, we're actually not going to focus a whole lot on that particular aspect of the text today because we've spent the last seven weeks talking about human sexuality. Um, and so if you're, it's your first time with us today, we've actually um, gone through the, the first part, of uh, chapter 6, and really unpack. Jason has done a brilliant job. If you haven't had a chance of listening to the sermons that Jason has preached on the subject of human sexuality, please go onto our website and take a look at them and and listen to them because they're really quite brilliant. Um, I I was sitting in my car this past week listening to the one uh, called, not that there's anything wrong with that, and I'm just thinking, like, I am so blessed to sit under this kind of teaching. Um, We all are. Um, So one of the primary analogies that Jason used was uh, a football field. And, um, you know, we started the series seven weeks ago, uh, which was a better time um, because, you know, the Ravens had much better prospects than they have right now. Um, And uh, the analogy was, as far as regards to a football field, he said, let's think of sexual immorality as like a football game. And there's sidelines, and there's end zones to any kind of football game. The sidelines are the boundaries that we put that, we, that God gives us that says, on one hand, all sex is bad, and we certainly don't want that. God wants us to have a healthy, godly expression of our sexuality. And on the other hand, um, there's the idea that all sex is good. No, there's boundaries about what a godly expression of our sexuality is. So then if we're playing on the field, if we're actually in the play of game, there's two appropriate end zones that we could kind of um, direct our attention to. One is celibacy, which is a perfectly biblically responsible way to live out our sexuality, if that's what you feel you're called to. The other end zone is marriage, which is also a perfectly biblically responsible way of living out our sexuality. It's when we go outside those bounds and when we try to aim for things other than those end zones that we stumble. And that's kind of what Paul's getting to here when he says, listen, if you're going to go, you're going to see this freedom that you have in Christ, and if you're going to use that to do anything you want, you're not playing the game right. No, your body needs to be glorifying the Lord. And that's what I want to focus on today the theology of the body. Paul gives us the whole works as he shifts from one argument to the next in what seems like maybe a confusing manner. And there's at least three elements to this argument that I think is worth unpacking. But in truth, they are interconnected and they are intimately related. Element number one is the resurrection of the body. When we say the Nicene Creed. We say we look for the resurrection of the dead. Uh, Some of you, this is a peculiar time to be thinking about the resurrection of the dead because the 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 television show The Walking Dead just started back up. Do we have any fans of The Walking Dead here? Okay, a couple of them. All right, so it's fine. The cover of the bulletin is actually a quote from that, uh, from a character in there, actually a Christian character in The Walking Dead. This guy, Herschel Green, who the show is about zombies, if you don't know. Um, And his quote in there is a popular quote in the show is that he says, you know, I remember Jesus saying something about the resurrection of the dead. I just always thought he had something else in mind. Um, He did. And so that's what we want to talk about. That's what Paul's getting to here. See, fundamental to the Christian faith is the belief that Jesus Christ died on the cross not only for the remission of our sins, but as a crucial step in the cosmic reconciliation of all things through victory over death, victory over evil, victory over sin. If this is the first time you've been in church for a while, you might be familiar with probably what the most popular, most uh, common... Familiar passages in the Bible, in the New Testament, which is, let me take a guess, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him see, it is of vital importance to know that God did not save you because of what you've done. He saved you because of who He is. Let me say that again because if you leave here today with nothing else, that's the thing to remember. God did not save you because of what you've done. He saved you because of who He is. No one... No amount of your own good works could ever win you favor with God. No amount of your own good deeds could ever help you earn your own salvation. No matter how many times you come to church, no matter how many times you pray, no matter how many times you help old ladies across the street, even if you are 100% confident, I'm a good person. Even if I'm confident that you're a good person, which I'm sure you are, that does not affect your salvation or win you favor with God. No, he saved us not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy, his grace. The good works that we do, we do out of response to that grace. And you see how this puts everybody on the the same playing field? I mean, think about the most holy person you know, the person that is the most godly. And the truth is that they are still in desperate need of their Savior's love they are still in desperate need of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We all fall short of the glory of God. But it's that response, the response to that grace that I want to talk about today. It's the response to the true freedom that we have in Christ. N.T. Wright says, because of the cross, the whole world is free to give allegiance to the God who made it. When we accept God's grace... And believe that he died on the cross for us and confess him as Lord and give him our lives. The only appropriate response to that kind of love is to reflect that love back into the world. But here's the trick. Jesus wasn't simply some supernatural spiritual beating that that only looked like a guy walking around. He was actually a guy walking around. That means that the life he lived, he lived in a physical reality. He went through childhood, he went through adolescence, he went through puberty, he went to the bathroom. He was an actual dude. And as an actual dude, he died on the cross and suffered an excruciatingly painful death with a human body. That's what Christ did to glorify God. Why labor the point? Because Christians don't just believe that he died for our sins on the cross and then went to the grave we believe, as we mentioned in the song earlier, that He conquered the grave when He rose on the third day. The belief in a bodily resurrection is actually a fundamental aspect of Orthodox Christianity, but many still operate under this um, thought that, that some glad morning, when this life is over, I'm going to fly away to some, in some disembodied spirit The major problem with that is that many have assumed that the primary point of Christianity is getting to heaven when you die. Paul tells us later in 1 Corinthians, now, if Christ is proclaimed and raised from the dead, how how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith is in vain. We might as well go home. Evidently, Paul takes the resurrection of the dead pretty darn seriously. And the thing is, the fact that we look for the resurrection of the dead, like we say in the Nicene Creed, it isn't just about something that will happen then. It's about how we live our life now. The body matters That's what Paul's getting to in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, And God raised the dead, raised the Lord, and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? You you see, if we confess Jesus as Lord, we are crucified with him. And if we are crucified with him, we share in his death. And if we share in his death, We also share in his resurrection. And if we share in his resurrection, then what we do with our body matters. To misuse the body is to treat God with contempt. It is to disgrace God. It is to dishonor God. But remember, remember this, it's not just about not doing naughty things. It's not just about not doing bad things. If we leave here today, assuming that the primary point of this instruction is that God doesn't want us to do things that are actually fun, and we need to stop doing naughty things, we have missed the point. The point is that our bodies should be used in ways that glorify God and anticipate the hope of the resurrection in one another. Will we use our bodies to disgrace God or will we use them in a way that will point towards wholeness and restoration and healing all of that hope that is to come? Now don't get me wrong, Jesus' death and resurrection are absolutely about our eternal salvation. And if you haven't yet confessed Jesus as Lord and accepted God's grace, I beg you to do it today. But I also beg of you not to think of it as some kind of fire insurance. For when you kick the bucket someday down the road, remember the resurrection is not an insurance policy It's a way of life. It's the way of life. God is putting the world back together again, and He wants us on His side, and He's using His church to do it. That's why it is so vitally important for us to take seriously what we put our hands to. And I think we need to ask ourselves as Christians do we see the resurrection in our lives? Do we see the resurrection in our careers? Do we see what we put our hands to that we're actually building towards um, hope and that we're actually pouring our lives into something that matters because I know I'm partnering with God in the work that He's doing? Are we, putting, are we seeing resurrection in our families? When I um, see my son, and I try to pour my life into my son, when we pour our lives into our kids, when we strengthen our marriages, when we take our marriages seriously, when we take our marriage sexuality seriously, all those things are ways, do I see resurrection in that? Am I treating those things like there's actually hope for it? Or am I treating it like, well, it doesn't really matter. Is there resurrection in our politics? When we have Um, prayers of the people um, for St. Hilda's service. One of the things that I appreciate the most about that time is that Jason has included a line that he says, in this election season, may we engage with civic discourse in a way befitting a free people. As Christians, are we operating under the assumption that God is actually putting this world back together again and that we are partnering with him in that Are we treating this world like there's actually hope or we have all just assigned it to burn one day? And maybe the hardest one at all, do we see resurrection in our church? And for this, I'm not just talking about New Hope or St. Hilda's or just the churches of, of the evangelical church. I'm talking about Big C, the big church. Do we see resurrection as a defining part Of what we are. Is the church that you've known a place where healing happens? A place where restoration happens? A place where reconciliation with God happens? Is it a place where you can come and bring your baggage and bring whatever it is that you brought through that door and leave it here, leave it at the foot of the cross? Is that what the church is about? I hope it is because that's what we're trying to do here at New Hope Community Church. That's what this is about. We want to make the resurrection a part of our lives. I saw that in a powerful way a couple of weeks ago. I wasn't here because I got to spend the morning at the emergency room at GBMC because you can almost see it. I had a spider bite a couple of weeks ago that turned into cellulitis. You know, um, evidently Peter Parker, uh, you know, he didn't get the he got the powers from the spider bite, but he you know he never talked about the cellulitis. Um, but it's interesting that when I first got there, I, I don't spend a whole lot of time in doctor's offices. Um, to be honest with you, I, I don't go to the doctor nearly as often as I should. Um, but, uh, so I'm sitting there and I'm watching these nurses and these doctors like care for this bondy that in large part I have not cared as much about, um, that, that they're caring for me. And I'm seeing, like, wow, there is a holiness to this, to this work. There's a sacredness to the, to the work That doctors and nurses and those that care about the healing, um, there's a ministry in that, and I'm very grateful for it. There was a there was a physical manifestation to something that I was very ministered to by by those people. However, as I'm sitting there and I just got this silly spider bite, it's not a big deal, you know. I took some antibiotics, I'm getting better. It's not a big deal. But I'm sitting there and I'm you know I'm alone, you know. They they I did a CAT scan and I did all this blood work and all this stuff. But I'm sitting there, and then in walks Tim fails. And I'm thinking, I said, what are you doing here? Like, you have a thousand more important things that you could be spending your Sunday afternoon with the Ravens game is about to start. Why are you bothering, you know, why, why are you bothering to come here? And he's like, because I care about you. <laughs> Want to see you're okay. Okay. And then I found out, you know, his whole family was in the lobby as well. and like, thank you, thank you, you know, you know, prideful love and all that. And then, you know, he leaves, and I'm like, well, that's really nice of him, you know. And about 10 minutes later, in walks Mary Poling. Hi, Mary, what are you doing here? Don't you have orchestras to conduct? You know, I just got a spider bite. It's not a big deal. No, 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 because I, 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 I love you, and I, I, want, I want to make sure that you're okay. And she stayed with me, and had a good time. And then, you know, a couple of minutes later, in walks Jason and Bruce, and not only are they there to, to comfort, and, and we watched a little bit of the Ravens game, but they actually wanted to bring the Eucharist. They actually wanted, they brought me communion. I'm like, guys, I just have a spider bite, you know. Um, but now we're going we're gonna to celebrate union be, com- uh, communion together because you missed it this morning. Okay. And then Alan Hastings come in. a guy who isn't part of, um, of New Hope uh, proper. He's a part of our partnership, St. Uh, Hilda's. And how much did that mean? How much did that mean that somebody that... Um, I, by him showing up physically, he told me how much he cared about me. And that just floored me. It floored me. Romans eight eleven says, In the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. The second element to this text is that the body as temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? Now, it's extremely important to note that what we're dealing with here is a gift, as I mentioned before, which you have from God. What the text does not say is that God's Spirit won't want anything to do with you if you're not holy. What the text does not say is you better keep your body holy so that God will give you the Spirit. No, no, no. What he says is the Spirit from God is already present in you. Therefore, treat your body like it's a temple of the Holy Spirit, because it is. Paul has already said in chapter 3, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? The you there was plural. Here in chapter 6, he's actually talking about individual people. Foundational to what it means to be a Christian is to believe that God's spirit dwells in us, but now Paul's throwing this temple language at us too. And from a Jewish perspective, the temple has a very specific meaning. The temple was the intersection of heaven and earth. It was the place where sacrifice happened, where worship happened. God lived there. He took up residence there. There was even a special room at the center of the temple called the most holy place that was separated from the rest of the sanctuary by a veil. This more than symbolized this unapproachability of God. But get this, in the book of Matthew, which is an account of Jesus' life, Matthew says that at the moment Jesus died on the cross, the temple veil was torn. So now through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, not only could we approach the eternal throne, but God's Holy Spirit flowed out. And now, according to Paul, where does the Holy Spirit take up residence? In us. Well, then how do I know if my activities are actually in line with the Holy Spirit? Um, Paul says in another one of his letters in Galatians, he says that that is going to bear fruit. And think about when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Think about the physical aspects to each one of those things. Uh, Bruce could have told me that he cared about me and that he loved me, but then he actually showed up at the hospital to prove it to me. You know, if, when we have, um, we have a stork ministry, so that when you, uh, if you have a, a, a baby, a new baby in your house, uh, we'll, we'll actually sign up to bring you meals Because the first couple of months for any family is going to be pretty hectic. And it would be great if you didn't have to worry about cookings. So then we just um, pile on meals. And everybody has these stories about how you'd be packed the refrigerators tight. There's a physical manifestation of that. There's something holy. There's something sacred about showing up on somebody's front door, knocking on their door and say, here's a casserole. Jesus loves you. Here's a casserole. love joy joy i mean joy is infectious if i have joy and my friend my brother does not what does it mean to have that joy and to and to give that joy as a gift to another human being like gosh it's better than if you, it's better than you realize peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness self control all these things have physical manifestations they are not simply the way that we live in some spiritual life, they are going to look like human being things. Paul says in First Corinthians, uh, sorry, in First Thessalonians, chapter three, he says he's talking about Timothy. Timothy has just now come to you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. He's told us that you always remember us kindly and long to see us, just as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers and sisters, during all our distress and persecution, we have been encouraged about you through your faith. For we now, if you continue to stand firm in the Lord, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we have felt before our God because of you? And get this, this is really cool. Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you, how? Face to face. And restore whatever is lacking in your faith. This is bring a friend to church day. It's not share a link on Facebook Day. We actually there's something about the, the the Hebrews talks about how we're not supposed to neglect the assembly of believers. When we come together, there's something holy, there's something sacred about us being in each other's lives and worshiping together and studying the word together. But there's another pit. There's another bit that Paul brings out here that, oh, we can't miss, and that's that your body, my body, belongs to the Lord. Paul tells us something that is extremely difficult for our culture to hear. You are not your own. In fact, you were bought at a price. Is it a coincidence that Paul would use the phrase, you were bought at a price, immediately following a discussion concerning prostitution? Probably not. And the connection with prostitution to slavery in the ancient world even kind of turns up the volume knob even more. My New Testament professor, Mike Gorman, always talks about when you're looking at a biblical text, you have to look for things that are turning up the volume. The heartbreaking truth is that the Greek culture of the day often abandoned babies that they thought to be unfit. Girl babies suffered this far more often than boys, and this meant several things. For starters, it meant that there was a serious shortage of eligible, marriageable women. These women were often married to older men who were more financially secure. So the young men, basically any guy under 30, could only find intercourse with slaves, prostitutes, and each other. And where did those slaves and prostitutes come from? Oftentimes, they came from those abandoned babies, who were rescued only to become slave prostitutes in inns and taverns, and that doubled in brothels, all of which was very legal, and very common, and very convenient. In the Corinthian society, the archaeological ra- evidence of the ruins of the Corinth show that the Greek goddess Aphrodite was believed to oversee ritual prostitution, and there were temples that were found in the ruins. Temples. There's that volume knob again. Paul just said that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that you can use to bring hope to others. How does that go against, how does that contrast and compare to what the culture is of the day? So Paul says, in Christ you have the freedom to live Into God's grace and to glorify Him with your body. You have the freedom to put down whatever cultural norms society tells you is okay. You have the freedom to put down the sins, whatever sins you brought with you. You have the power to put those sins down, which weigh you down. And Jesus says, You don't have to live like that. He says, Nail them to my cross, give them to me, and experience the new life of my resurrection live with your actual body in such a way as to acknowledge the Holy Spirit within you and know that you have the freedom to anticipate resurrection, to live resurrection, to make resurrection the way of life, the way of your life, and to partner with God in this whole business of cosmic reconciliation. That's our job, church. That's what it means to glorify God with our body let me pray for us. Oh, good Father, thank you so much for this body. Thank you much for these men and women who gather together here on Sunday and in homes throughout the week. Thank you that we are, in fact, in each other's lives. Thank you that um, how we relate to one another matters. Thank you for this community. Thank you that we care about one another, that we actually show up when it matters. And we just pray that you would have whatever your will would be for this congregation, that it would be in your hands, but regardless, that it be pointed in your direction, anticipating your resurrection, knowing that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit in us, and therefore we are about healing and restoration and reconciliation. Oh God, help us to be a people who those things matter. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.